Hear this, all peoples. Give ear, all inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor together. My mouth shall speak wisdom. The meditation of my heart shall be understanding. I will incline my ear to a proverb. I will solve my riddle to the music of the lyre. Those are verses 1 to 4 of Psalm 49, which along with Psalm 53 are the psalms appointed for today, Wednesday, October the 26th, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thank you for being along today. We're continuing our look at the apocryphal book of Ecclesiasticus. It's, it's received by some traditions, the Roman Catholic Church, the Eastern Orthodox Churches, the um, Anglican Church, churches actually, and then also the Lutherans, uh, as something, as books that are profitable to read from but not to base theology on, probably is the best way to say it. And so they, they, they're considered to be above the run-of-the-mill books that are out there, and in some cases, honestly, I have no earthly idea why that would be. Um, but anyway, it's, it's assigned for us for the next, like, several weeks, so here we go. In the, we're also in the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 11, verses 37 to 52, and in the book of the Revelation, chapter 12, verses 1 to 6. So in the Ecclesiasticus passage, and I've told you before that the, these are proverbs, aphorisms, whatever, today it's going to be mostly about slander, uh, which, which would be uh, bearing false witness against your neighbor. Slander has shaken many and scattered them from nation to nation and destroyed strong cities and overturned the houses of great men. And certainly, if we've seen anything in our society over the last whatever period of years, and I don't know, I honestly don't know how long, it just seems like I've only started paying attention to it over the last several years. What we see constantly, constantly, constantly is slander. Uh, It's slander against this person, that person, whatever. It it has determined our entire our entire um, civil discourse is by slander. It's not possible to refer to another person without making a pejorative statement about them. You know, I can remember people saying that that this one or that one uh, evangelical leader was a court jester for the Trump um, administration or, you know, the, the statements that are made on the other side are equally bad. I mean, the, the even the let's go Brandon stuff, you know, that that stuff is all we need to, to raise the level of civil discourse. And if we as Christians can't do it, then there's absolutely no hope at all for others. Um, so slander has become de rigueur um, among Christians, unfortunately. Slander has driven away courageous woman, women and deprived them of the fruit of their toil. Here's, here's what that should say to you, cancel culture. You know, um, people who are holding things against uh, people who said things when they were 16 years old on a social media post, and now they have to be canceled and gotten rid of. You can't have an opinion that deviates from the powerful opinion, which is hilarious because what they will ultimately say is is that that um, that power is the is the opposite of what they're wielding. You know, they're speaking because they're powerless. No, 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 no. If you have the possibility of shutting down discourse, then you have the power. It's period, end of sentence like that. And so we see people canceled all over the place because they have an opinion that's different from um, the prevailing powerful opinion. Whoever pays heed to slander will not find rest, nor will he settle down in peace. The blow of a whip raises a welt. I mean, th- it, there's a huge truth in this. I mean, I have friends on both sides of, of things who who don't listen to anything other than just slanderous stuff all day and all night, and they never rest from this. There, there's a passion to consume it like a, like nothing I've ever seen. 
<clears throat> so a, the blow of a whip raises a welt, but a blow of the tongue crushes the bones. And that, that's the beginning of all this idea anyway, is to say that words are violence. And, and that's exactly what this says. But truthful words aren't violence at all. And we need to be able to speak truth. We need to be able to tell the, the trans movement, for instance, is that's, that's a serious problem and a serious issue in society today is, is that this gender confusion, what we've always known as gender dysphoria, it's a mental issue. And instead, what we're doing is we're, we're encouraging children to make these decisions that, that ultimately completely change their futures. Many have fallen by the edge of the sword, but not so many as have fallen because of the tongue. Happy is the man who's protected from it, who has not been exposed to its anger, who has not borne its yoke, has not been bound with its fetters, for its yoke is a yoke of iron, and its fetters are fetters of bronze. Its death is an evil death, and Hades is preferable to it. I mean, th- this is the same stuff that James argues in his, uh, in his epistle. It, it, the tongue it can do more damage than anything else. It can ruin friendships. It can absolutely wreck them, um, but how do we how do we get past this? How do we how do we understand that we that we have power with the tongue, but we need to harness it and use it for good to build up and not to destroy? We need to be able to speak truth, even if the truth hurts. We need to be able to do that, but we need to be careful that what we're doing is not slandering people. <clears throat> it will be it will not be a master over the godly, and they will not be burned in its flame. Those who forsake the Lord will fall into its power. It will burn among them and will not be put out. And if we can see anything in our society, it's this the increasing secularization of the society, the, the drift away. And now it's almost full sprint away from any idea of the Lord. It has, has ruined civil discourse. So those who forsake the Lord will fall into its power. It will burn among them and will not be put out. There, there's no room any longer for truth. There's no longer any room for civil discourse because everything is pragmatism, right? So does this advance the ball for my team or not? And if it doesn't advance the ball for your team, then, then you find some way to say it in such a way that it will advance the ball for your team, whether it's slander or not. doesn't make any difference because there's no restraint, it will be sent out against them like a lion, like a leopard. It will mangle them. And we're seeing that. We're seeing that very thing. I mean, take, take for instance, J.K. Rowling, who wrote Harry Potter. I mean, how dare she speak out against trans people? And so she's been canceled. She, they, they do a, a retrospective of the series, and she's not even a part of it. The girl who played Hermione Granger, young woman now, um, she won't have anything to do with any project that involves J.K. Rowling. Well, I'm sorry, you wouldn't have been anything had it not been for J.K. Rowling. And it's just, it's bizarre, but it gets turned on. I mean, Rowling used to be a hero on that side, and, and it gets turned against them. And it's the same on, on both sides. I'm, I'm just saying this, this is the most prominent example that I know of. But if you have unpopular opinions, then you're just completely marginalized. You're a never-Trumper, you're a whatever you are, you know, but you're completely marginalized and destroyed. But that same thing can come roaring back at you in just a second if you get one thing wrong. See that you fence in your property with thorns. Lock up your silver and gold. Make balances and scales for your words and make a door and a bolt for your mouth. Beware lest you err with your tongue, lest you fall before him who lies in wait. And that feels exactly like the atmosphere that we live in today. That's exactly what it feels like. One slip of the tongue, one wrong word, one wrong opinion, 
You're going down. It, it, it's absolutely unbelievable how contemporary that is. Whether it's in the Bible or not, that's good stuff. In the Luke passage today, Jesus is speaking, and a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at table. The Pharisee was astonished that he to see that he didn't wash before dinner. I mean, he was absolutely amazed. This is a really strong term here. And so what you got is, is that Jesus didn't wash. And this guy, he's not just astonished. He's scandalized that Jesus didn't do that. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees, cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. All that glitters isn't gold. I see through it all. I understand exactly what's going on here. And now we can say, well, it, is, it seems a little odd that Jesus doesn't wash before dinner. But was it provided? What, what did, did he ignore the hospitality that was given to him? And the other side of it is, is that if you want to know how um, OCD <laughs> works, look at the stuff about washing in the Talmud. I mean, it, it covers so much ground, and it is the largest tractate that you'll find is on washing. And it's it's complicated beyond belief what you have to do. And so, you know, it, God never would show me that. <laughs> but, it, but it was horrifically, I mean, like astoundingly important in the Pharisee and rabbinic world. And so for Jesus not to abide by that is, is an enormous transgression in this guy's eyes. So when, when Jesus throws it back at him and says, you worry about the wrong stuff, right? I mean, you, you um, cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish, and he's talking about you look good on the outside, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. I mean, you're, you're dealing with the wrong thing. That dirt from the world is far less important than what's in your heart. He says, you fools, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give his alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. And, and Jesus will say these same kinds of things again and again and again, that, that the most important thing is to, is to deal with the, the stuff that comes within, because that, the stuff that comes out is just simply a reflection of what's going on in your heart and your mind. And then he goes on to say, after calling them fools, <laughs> he says, Woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb, and neglect justice and the love of God. So you're scrupulous, again, about the wrong things. He says you neglect justice and the love of God. And so those two things, justice and the love of God, are a different way of saying love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Because justice isn't seeking justice for yourself. It's seeking justice for your neighbor as though you were seeking it for yourself. Be as vigilant and zealous for justice for your neighbor as you would be if it were your own situation and then the, you so you neglect justice and the love of God these tithes you ought to have done without neglecting the others so those are the things they ought to have done have to do with loving God loving your neighbor but don't neglect the others continue to tithe he, he doesn't say anything like you know don't do that but it's interesting that one of the things that we get caught up in I had somebody come to me one time in the church couldn't believe this absolutely couldn't believe it that that the tithe is not a New Testament principle. Jesus never said anything about it. Well, there's two problems with that. One is that is the same argument uh, proponents of same-sex relationships being blessed in the church used, and you didn't buy it when they used it because you knew God had already spoken on that issue so clearly there's nothing need to be said about it. So, the, so you're using the same argument, but you're, but you're using it badly because right here Jesus said, 
you should have done these things without neglecting the other. So he has lifted up and said, yeah, you should still go ahead and tithe mint, rue, and every herb. And, and you know, the thing that I've noticed is, is that anybody who wanted to make that uh, argument with me was somebody who, who didn't give anything. Literally, this guy didn't give anything at all, and he wanted to make this argument with me. Oh, okay, great. So then he continues, Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you're like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. You know, you're, you're a trap, because if you walk over a grave in Judaism, then you've contracted defilement, because you've come in close contact with a dead body. So it's, so it's something people need to be warned about. He's basically saying, you should be like lepers. You should walk around with a sign around your neck that, that tells people who and what you really are, so they will avoid you like the plague. One of the lawyers, who would have been a rabbinic lawyer, answered him, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also, because we're interpreters of the law. And he said, Woe to you lawyers also. I'm sorry if you felt slighted that you weren't sure that I was talking to you. Yeah, woe to you lawyers also, for you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves don't touch the burdens with one of your fingers. You don't do a single thing to help people bear the burdens that you've put on them. Woe to you. For you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So they're making shrines, essentially. So you're witnesses, and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, because, for they killed them, and you build their tombs. Therefore, also the wisdom of God says, I will send them prophets and apostles. Some of them they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yeah, I tell you, it'll be required of this generation. So, in other words, all the sins of the past are going to be counted down to you because you haven't renounced the sins of the fathers. You've exalted these prophets, but you're not exalting the prophets in your own day. You're doing to the prophets in this day the same thing they did in their day. So all of that is going to be accounted to you, those sins of the fathers, because you haven't renounced them and you've continued to do them. Woe to you, lawyers, for you've taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. By taking away the key of knowledge, what they've done is is that they have arrogated to themselves the responsibility for the interpretation of God's Word, and they have kept the people from knowing that, and instead what they've taught them is their interpretations of God's law. And, and I can tell you a million different people who, who are in that same situation today where all they have is what somebody else says about the Word of God. And we need to be in the Word for ourselves. One of the reasons that I read these lessons, I mean, if we were in a church service, somebody would read these lessons, and then I would get up and preach. So everybody there would have heard the Word of God, theoretically, um, would have heard the Word of God. It would have been available for them to hear, at least. Whether they paid any attention or not is a totally different issue. But but they would have heard it for themselves, and so they would have be, be able to evaluate at some level what it is that I'm saying about these words. And so that's the reason I read them, is that I want you to make sure that, that what you hear me say fits with the Scriptures that I'm reading to you. Because don't take my word for anything. No, 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 no. Evaluate it on the terms of, is that what Scripture says and means? And what they've done is, is they've replaced the Word of God with the oral Torah, the Talmud. They've replaced the Word of God with those rabbinic interpretations of it. And so I, the, there's the rabbi that I follow, Rabbi David Foreman, A-F-O-H-R-M-A-N-N, 
um, he started the, the company that he has called Aleph Beta that teaches Scripture. Now, it will bring in those other rabbinic sources, but Scripture is the basis for that teaching, and there's a reason for that, because he said he knew most of the people he knew tended to know stories that come from Midrash rather than from the Word of God. For instance, the story of, of how why Abraham was chosen. There's this huge backstory that says that, that his father was an idol maker, and one day he was going to be out of the shop, and so he asked Abraham to take care of it. Well, Abraham was a monotheist. He didn't believe in these other idols. And so what he did was he smashed all those things while his father was gone. His father came back and said, what happened here? He says, well, it, it, what happened was is this one claimed great to be greater than that one and this one. Yeah, da, da. And so then they ended up in this big battle royale, and this was the result of it. The result of it was all these things got smashed, and his father said, well, you know that's not true, because these things aren't, aren't real in that sense. And he said, yeah, that's my whole point. And so they say that's the reason that Abraham was chosen, rather than for some God's inscrutable reasons. Then, then they say that's the reason he was chosen. And what he said was, I knew more people who knew that story than who th- that believed it was in the Bible. And so he, he decided to teach the Bible for that reason. It's important that we never allow some man's interpretation of the Bible to, to become the definitive thing in our own lives that we no longer are in the Word for ourselves. We've been given the Holy Spirit to, to read the Bible, to understand the Bible. It speaks to us personally. What I'm saying to you today is what God's saying to me through my reading of the Word. You may be hearing, in, when I read it, you may be hearing something that's really, really important for you that I'm not even going to touch, because right now it's not what God's speaking to me. But what he said is the lawyers have substituted oral Torah for the Word of God. And they've said this is actually kind of more important. And when you do that, then, then they tie up all these burdens because what they're trying to do is fence the law, protect it, expand it. It's like when Eve says we're not even supposed to touch this tree. Well, that's obviously not true. God didn't say that at all. But Adam wanted to be clear, stay away from this thing. And so he put a fence around it, and that's what these lawyers do. But it's based in their misinterpretation of the Word of God and their failure to balance this thing against that thing. So when he accuses them of of being scrupulous about their tithes, but neglecting justice and the love of God, that's what he's talking about, is you put these fences around the law, so much so that people are concerned about those things all the time, and they don't have the freedom to live, and that's what we've been set free from in the Spirit. In Revelation 6, I'm going to just tell you right now that that, that you ought to listen to, go go look up Michael Heiser, H-E-I-S-E-R, Revelation 12. Great teaching on this. He speaks about the the constellations in the sky, and I know nothing about this stuff, but he speaks about those things as part of the interpretation of Revelation 12. He says this is speaking about Mary and her pregnancy and all that, and then says the signs in the heavens at the time of— giving birth to Jesus, perfectly fit this right here. So a great sign appeared in the heaven, a woman clothed with the sun. And, and so there, it's the star is what it's saying. This, this star is clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. And so the constellations are what he's talking about here. She was pregnant. It, I've forgotten which. It's a female constellation that fits into all those things right there. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains in the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. So this is a different constellation. 
His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. And the movement of the constellations is what's in view here. She gave birth to a male child. One is to rule over the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God into his throne in protection. And the woman fled into the wilderness, this is Egypt, where she had a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1260 days. So Heiser says this is all describing the birth of Jesus and the, and the, the heavenly signs that point to that uh, when it happened. And it, and it only happens really, really rarely. And so he can pinpoint from that based on that passage and based on the constellation move that this is when it must have happened. It's pretty amazing, actually. It, it is absolutely incredible what he can teach out of this. And it doesn't take long, and you don't have to understand about astronomy and all that kind of stuff to follow the argument in it. So I highly recommend Michael Heiser, H-E-I-S-E-R, Revelation 12. But but at the end of the day, what it's coming down to is, is trusting the Word of God. And so what is the Word of God actually talking about here, and what is it actually saying? And Heiser begins with taking the Word of God seriously. And so it's an important thing for us always to set the Word of God above any man's interpretation, including the one I just mentioned. But so evaluate it. Pray and ask the Lord, is this the right interpretation of Revelation 12? But but I'm, I feel certain that it is in my spirit. If you find differently, send me a message. It's um, MSPG, Mary Suzanne Paget Green, uh, teach. MSPGTeach2002 at gmail.com. If you find a flaw and a problem with it, please send me an email and let me know.